Looks like today was your lucky day. But I'm sure that when you're ready, it'll find you. One battery for your troubles. I'm starting to think this battery didn't exist. The island provides. Now, what about this compass? Via Domus. That's Latin. Means the way home. Very interesting. The island gave me that hat you saw. It's mine to share when the time is right. And it looks like the island gave you that compass. Follow it. You may find the answers you're looking for. That's right, Lost is over, but we have to go back down the hatch and scoop up just a couple of these little missing pieces along the way. Here we are, in between seasons three and four, for a quick little stopover on Lost, Missing Pieces, the webisodes that aired between seasons three and four. Consider this your down-the-hatch intermission. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Mike Bloom, and Mike, there's absolutely zero chance that that was actually Terry O'Quinn as John Locke. No, it sounded more honestly like Nick Offerman as Ron Swanson like, trying out the character. It's like uh, when Homer Simpson voiced the genie for the Aladdin yeah, exactly. TV like, show. All right, like I, it's fine, but the more I listen to it, uh, not only for the second for the Aladdin TV show, but also the second film, yes. but you're like, yeah, I could, I could absolutely see that you were not the real McCoy. And yeah, we're gonna get into a lot of it with Lost via Dumbass, uh, but. Suffice it to say, there were many more cast members who did not do voices on this video game than cast members who did. Mm -hmm. I'll put it at that. Yeah, I believe it. So today, we're not just talking about the missing pieces, and we're not talking about all the missing pieces. There are 13 missing pieces, webisodes, all told. Each episode is like anywhere between a minute and four minutes at the most. Uh, There's 13 all told. We're going to talk about the first seven. It really is like a proto-quibby, if you will. Yeah, we'll talk about the first seven episodes today. Uh, And Mike also, as promised, you did the deep dive into Lost Via Domus, which is the Lost video game. Uh, And I'm so glad you did it. I did not do it. You'll have to explain it to me as well as the listeners. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things where, like, I'm so glad you did it. Emphasis on yes. And and not necessarily glad. (laughs) Very much. I'm excited about this. I think, is it safe to say to invoke uh, an analogy similar to a character that will be introduced in this batch of episodes? Are these installments sort of like the mix ins to put into our lost Frogurt for us to enjoy? You know what? I think I would have thought so before I sat down and watched them. Uh, mm. and I'm, and I'm glad that they exist and I remembered being happy about them at the time and some are, are really fun and some are really yes. funny and some feel something resembling additive and then others feel either, uh, uh, just like kind of like weird quality and then still others feel regressive, if not outright <laughs> bad. 
Yeah, I would say there's like a, a big distinction between, especially in these first seven, between like ones I would seen in, in an episode proper ones i would consider like a deleted scene for an episode and then ones that flat out like should not have been made whatsoever i consider like a waste of computer space of film etc yeah there's a couple in there but then there there's a few that are next level and i don't know i i think that maybe for next time mike maybe we want to rank them uh maybe that's like was, what we do at the end of this I was, you and I are on the exact same wavelength, Josh. I was thinking that exact same thing coming into this. I think we could create a rudimentary consensus ranking of the first seven. And then after that, we can easily slot in the other six next time. Yeah, I think so. Because my favorite one we're not talking about today. Uh, my, oh, interesting. My, fa- okay. my favorite one's next week. Um, but there, there's, there's one or two in here that, that I am, uh, I'm, I'm pretty amped up about. And then the ones that I'm not amped up about, I'm at least like excited to talk through. Uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this both because as we mentioned last week and we won't do the full 25 minute starter <laughs> rundown again, uh, that we've got a lot going on here in January on post show recap. So if you are able to support us, we would, oh my God, would appreciate it so much. Patreon.com. Slash post show recaps. Uh, Nat, there has, uh, for your boy Josh Wiggler, never been a better time to, mm-hmm. to sign up. For, yeah, I would for say if you, if you want to support Josh Wiggler in particular and all the incredible work he does as the captain of this faithful, faithful PSR ship. Please, yeah. please become a patron. It's still, you know, it's halfway through the month. I still think you're sort of getting your bang for your buck there. And look. If there was ever a place for chicanery in the beginning of 2021, it can certainly be found within the Post Show Recaps Discord in particular at the $10 level. Yeah, we're having a really fun time in there. We would like to have you along for the ride. Uh, and if we reach a thousand patrons by the end of the month, we will recast me with Homer Simpson. Uh, for one episode of Down the No, Hatch but Only. specifically, no, it's Dan Castellaneta portraying the genie yes. as Josh Wigler. <laughs> um, Mike, one of the reasons we were doing the missing pieces was like to give us a little bit of a break, right? A little bit of a lighter load. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're okay if this is a shorter podcast this week. We're okay if next week is a shorter podcast. So with that said, I kind of want to hop into it if you're cool with it. Yeah, let's absolutely do it. I don't let's have I don't have proper. like a lot of uh I don't have like a lot of filibustering that I feel like we you know these are the missing pieces they were directed by Jack Bender he directed all them of all them. all of them it seems like there was like uh like outside of Jack Bender sometimes it feels like maybe like three other people were working on it uh like they do like some touch-ups of some season one makeup to like give Jack the the claw marks on his face from you know mm-hmm. when he first or get, or get pull poor Harold Perrineau back in like the season two beard and afro and, yes you know unfortunate plaid shirt yeah so like they they definitely go and try to to replicate some earlier stuff from the show, um, sometimes more successfully than others. I think one of the uh, the others, one of the things that I am most impressed by is um, the. I, I don't know if they like decommissioned certain sets and or or if there were certain sets that were not yet decommissioned, like the the Michael episode where he's still tied mm-hmm. to the three minutes pole. Like that's yeah, still the there. Village. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so there, there's a few things along the way that I'm pretty impressed by, but then there are other things where it's like this is just, it's like guerrilla filmmaking. You know, it's really it's like it's Jack Bender with a handheld camera is what it feels like if that's not what it actually is. If you haven't watched the uh, the missing pieces, we're going to play them uh, in, yeah. in like, toto. 
Because here's the thing. Uh, we have, I'm so proud of the extremely dedicated community of hatchlings that we have developed over the past, you know, year plus. That being said, I would predict at most maybe 25% of you all out there sought out these clips. They are available on YouTube if you want to view the visual element. But like Josh said, because they are such short this clips, is what we're and they're usually, the, they're usually the length of our sounds anyway, why not just make them the sounds? Before we get into it, though, I, I know we don't want to preamble too much, but I do want to put in one quick thing, because I do want to talk about, and I'm sure we'll talk about this throughout, like the choice of scenes portrayed but more so this choice of characters because eric divestein brings this up that you know we're going to highlight several different characters in a recurring capacity over the course of the missing pieces between jack and juliet and michael and arst etc but we are going to see nary hair nor hide in either missing pieces or the video game actually of some of our major characters for example no kate no sawyer no Locke. No Saeed in any of these missing pieces. Josh, I, I don't think we, I don't know if we have any knowledge off the top of our heads of like if there was anything going on behind the scenes, but can you think of any reason why, for one reason or another, like some characters were included and some weren't? Uh, my first thought was going to be that like a bunch of these actors were like, I'm too old for this bullshit. Uh, you know, <laughs> Lethal, Quinn's Lethal like, Weapon what's style. A ma- what's a mob episode? <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing that. Uh, but then I thought about that further and like there's a lot of Matthew Fox in here and he would be like top yeah. of mind for me if people would be like, now. You're not going to get me to do it. Like, so I don't think that that's it. Um, I, I don't know. I think that there is a degree to which, like, there, there are some blanks to fill some missing pieces, as it were, as it, as it pertains to Jack, uh, from season three. Mm -hmm. So there's some stuff that they want to do there. Um, I think for Michael, especially, you know, we're about to talk about Michael. Uh, we're going to, we're going to reintroduce him here. So it makes sense to be like, Hey, let's get them used to seeing Michael again. So when he pops up as the man on the boat, it's not too surprising. Well, I think it's, it, for me, my interpretation of, uh, so Michael is a very prominent character in the missing pieces and and a big piece of that for me is not just like to refamiliarize the audience with michael but i wonder how much of that is to like reground harold perrineau and like who did you leave this guy as mm. where are you going back to it's like oh instead of watching the screeners of season one and season two we'll just actually throw you back in that moment you know, to it, sort of get your headspace there going. are degrees to which these feel like acting exercises you know like there are degrees mm. to which this feels like these are just like underlinings exercises rehearsals of like getting you closer to your character as opposed to like actual additive to the lore so i'm i you know before this is like this is all canon having revisited all of this like you don't see it on the show i'm fine if we pretend none of this happens uh it's just fun you know i think most more than anything i think it's just uh it's it's a whole lot of fun yeah, it's like a little I I do not want to like when I say fanfic, I don't want to necessarily put a connotation to that because I do feel like it is sort of like garnered in it's not. I mean, it's, it's created by the people who create the show. So, right. But I but I would say it's sort of created with that idea, though, of like, hey, let's take these characters and put them in different situations. To your point, I think we're going to touch upon some, for lack of a better term, missing pieces, key scenes that we missed out on looking at Operation Sleeper as an example. But I don't think as another example, people are like, ooh, I really need to find out what Arst felt about the cave you know transition yeah. you know i feel like that's those some of those scenes are more so in the in the realm of hey let's sort of like you know bring daniel roebuck back this is these are like little maybe storylines that we left up on the writer's board that did not end up making it through the first three seasons which as we talked about the show is going to transition away even from some of those lighter beachside moments so this is going to kind of be the final bow for that josh yeah all right well let's 
Let's bow because we we begin beachside, but not on Oceanic 815 Beach. We are in Hawaii, uh, and we are uh, in, I believe, Waikiki with Jack Shepard skipping rocks uh, in Oahu as his father rolls up. We're flashing all the way back, Mike, to the day of Jack Shepard's wedding, and uh we we got some of Christian and Jack together the night before the wedding with some fatherly mm-hmm. advice, and it turns out that wasn't the end of the story, Mike. So you can watch all these if you haven't yet. We'll link to them in the show notes, but if you're not going to watch them and you just want us to talk it through and you want to listen in, just picture Jack and Christian on the side of the beach in Honolulu having the following conversation. Yeah, this might not be able to be watched, but it is the watch. What you doing there, kiddo? Throwing rocks. Good. Good. Get all that rock throwing out before you get married. It was either this or being inside with Sarah and the wedding planner, figuring out where all the flowers go. Wise choice. Listen, before tonight, before before things get crazy, I wanted to give you something. This was my dad's. And I just, I thought it would only be fitting. I've never seen you wear it before. Well, that's because I never did. <laughs> your grandfather didn't really like your mother. And, you know, he thought marrying her was a mistake. He told me to my face so, the day that I got married. And then he gave me this watch. So I never wore it. Dad, are you trying to tell me something? Unlike me, you have made the absolute right choice. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, here. Cheers. This is really happening, huh? Ooh. As soon as they arrange those flowers, and you run out of rocks. <laughs> well, there's a lot of rocks out here. Do you think that if you and Sarah ever have a kid, try to treat him a little better than I treated you. Right. I'll see you inside, kiddo. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, big Christian Shepherd scene, especially. Uh, you know, yeah. I think the 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 Jack stuff is obviously, like you said, a lot of Jack focus uh, in this particular set of circumstances or set of scenes, which we'll certainly talk about, but. I honestly feel like this says much more about Christian Shepard than it does about Jack. And and let me throw something out here. Is season three plus missing pieces, could this be like the best Christian Shepard season of the show ever? Season four 
or season Did three. You're talking about you're talking specifically about Christian as a character in terms of like yeah. the way that he comes across. Right. Exactly. I'm talking about like I'm thinking about a, a tale of two cities right? yep. when I think we, we sort of saw that he was trying to get his life back on track. I think we can make arguments about Par Avion in terms of what he was doing and maybe what he was trying to force Claire to do. But this is another thing that, like, I don't know, really made me think back to what we've seen recently of Christian Shepard. And we probably will see overall of Christian Shepard because we're not I think we're we're slowly dwindling on the number of opportunities we'll see him proper uh, instead of being, you know, imbued by the man in black. But this is a genuinely sweet moment for this guy who is essentially saying, like, I have screwed up before, partially due to the environment I grew up in, partially due to my own circumstances. Whatever you do, whatever you move on with with your life, just promise you won't be like me. And as a father, that is heartbreaking, yet like, I don't know, so self-introspective as well. It is surprising to come out of the guy who, in the first flashback episode we saw of him, was just like berating Jack for, quote, not having what it takes. Now, I guess my question is, do you like it here? Like, do you like it? And I think this is another thing we should do. Is this in continuity or out of continuity? Let's make the decisions, right? Let's <laughs> let's make the call and decide whether or not this should be part of the lost canon. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you like that this scene exists when we had the scene between Jack and Christian the night before the wedding? Does this cheapen that at all for you? No, because there's actually some stuff in here that connects to canonized events on the show that I really like. Let's start with the titular watch. Because if you remember, Josh, all the way back in the pilot, when Jack is, uh, you know, helping uh, getting Hurley to help him and pulls Claire aside. He says, okay, I need you to time out her contractions. What does he give Hurley to measure the time, but a watch. Mm. And look, I don't want like a, Oh, here's a whole episode that focuses on a part of Jack's, you know, wardrobe or part of his body. We done crossed that bridge before, but I do like that. This has some sort of purpose here as well, right? That Jack, first of all, he was wearing it, which is something Christian said he would never do. And the fact that he is sort of like diverging these paths right now by being like, my dad gave this to me and I'm going to use this to help people moving forward. I think it does say a lot. And the other thing as well, and, and what makes this feel so bittersweet is because while it is a genuinely, I don't know, uh, happy or at least not sad moment between father and son who have had an extremely bitter relationship, to know what's coming in a tale of two cities makes that sting even more, right? The fact yeah. that Christian tells him, if you have a kid, try treating him better than I treated you, especially when he says things, you know, like Sarah's a good girl. And to have that, you know, lead to Jack suspecting Christian of being the other man, uh, I can imagine that that conversation rolls back in his head several times. So I personally think it really plays into not only where we are with these two, but a lot of stuff that's going to happen to Jack and between Jack and Christian in the events moving forward. This is from the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, who writes in, wow. An actual decent scene with Christian where he's not a complete jerk. They should have left this in the episode, as I recall, asking around this time on Down the Hatch and the feedback, are we actually supposed to like Christian Shepard by the end of all this? This scene goes a long way in building that image and the person we see in the end. Um, Mike, you want it. Fitzy wants it. I'm willing to send it to Samoa. Uh, let's, let's canonize the watch. The watch always, happened. Always- can we send it to Guam instead? Yeah, we're sending it to Guam. Uh, the watch is real. It happened. It's happening now. The watch goes to Guam. Now, the next one we're going to get into, 
the next one we're going to get into is uh, it's titled The Adventures of Hurley and Frogert. It's the introduction of Neil Frogert, played by mm-hmm. Sean Whalen, uh, as previously seen in uh, That Thing You Do. He's the O'Neater's number one fan. And we'll see him later on down the line. I, I feel like maybe we see him very briefly again in season four. We are, because I believe he's going to join Locke's camp, because I think he's going to probably have a couple of like snide lines about how he disagrees. Or maybe he joins. He definitely is prominently shown as like one of the gawkers who joins one side or the other. But obviously, he will quite literally flame out more spectacularly in season five. Uh, we don't really see him in season four, uh, according to Lostpedia. The podcast says that Neil joined Jack's group. Due to his dislike of Hurley, who was in Locke's group. Uh, but Neil was in Faraday's second trip to the Kahana. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, he was in, I believe he was in the Zodiac Raft yes. in There's No Place Like Home when, you know, but you uh, don't see, But you don't people. see him on the Zodiac Raft until the season five premiere. So I'm so confused as to how he winds up here. Uh, yeah, because essentially they said like, hey, this well, because the entire we talked about this a bit, I believe, when he was first mentioned in season two offhandedly. But I believe the whole conceptualization of Frogert was that like it was mentioned. Hurley said like, oh, yeah. Or I think Bernard said, oh, yeah, we've got this guy. We've got that guy. We've got the guy who makes frozen yogurt. Yes. And then it would be a joke on Damon and Carlton's podcast about like, oh, yeah, there's Frogert. Yes. And it became such a running thing that it eventually sort of manifested itself. To your point, I'm not sure why they made this materialize for a missing pieces and then seemingly take an entire season away from Froger. Maybe this is a product of the writer's strike. Who knows? I feel like this this whole thing, we're going to we're going to get into it. Uh, I was going to say we, we can set up when it takes place, but you'll get it from context clues if yeah, you haven't watched it. Unfortunately so, yeah. Uh, and the context clues are going to be the biggest thing that keeps me from wanting to send this one to Guam. This is the adventures of Hurley and Frogert. Hurley emerging from a tent where he is going to be stopped by none other than Neil Frogert himself. Let's take a listen. It's Neil. Neil? What are you doing in Rose and Bernard's tent, Harley? Nothing. Nothing, huh? Looks to me like you snagged some Dharma Cabernet. Bernard said I could borrow it. Don't worry, bro. I'm not here to get up in your scene. You want to steal from Bernie? You steal from Bernie. Let's have a question for you. What's going on with you and Libby? What do you mean? I mean, are you going to make a move or not? It's none of your business, dude. Look, Tubby, you're holding up the line. You and I both know that you're not going to get past doing laundry with her. So, how about you back off and let a real man show her what's what? Really? Really. Well, it just so happens I'm way past laundry. Yeah. That's right. If I had to get a date with Libby right now, we're going on a picnic. You got a date with her? Yeah. I'm bringing the wine, she's bringing the blankets. Well played, Hurley. Well played. 
But this isn't over. If you can't close with sweet Libby, it's Neil time. Now and forever. Josh, in my opinion, these arrows cannot come soon. I hate it. I I hate it so much. I'm dead. So, what's the opposite of it goes to Guam? Kill it with fire arrows? Yes, I I think I like that. Shower with a volley of fire arrows. You're either going to Guam or we're killing it with fire arrows. And I think it's very useful right now to have um, this one here because it is arguably the worst of the missing pieces for me, uh, or at least in contention for that. What I want to do is I want to rank these as we're going, right? So episode one, The Watch, is number one currently. uh, And The Adventures of Hurley and Frogert. Number two, and I think that this is the danger of, of fan service, Mike. It's like everyone mm-hmm. wants to see Frogert. Everyone wants to see Frogert. Where's Frogert? Why isn't he here yet? And so here's Frogert. He finally got him. And it's not Sean Whalen's fault. He's a funny guy, and I think Frogert could be a funny character, but it's in the vein of, like, the Nikki and Paolo stuff, Mike. Like, you're introducing Frogert like this. You're introducing yeah. Frogert now. Hurley and Froger are having like this conversation about like who's going to date Libby while Libby is probably being shot like simultaneously mm-hmm. is so unsavory. I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah, it's I, I really do not like it. First off, we, it's actually very similar to Nikki and Paolo, like you said, of like, I can understand why maybe at this point Froger might be a bit more unsavory given island living. But to have this be the very first thing we see with no positive qualities to this guy is pretty terrible. Sean Whalen comes off sort of like as like a knockoff Steve Buscemi right uh-huh. here with a sort of like nasally cocksure delivery. Though Steve Buscemi could How do you do, fellow 815ers? Exactly, with like the backwards Dharma cap uh, and everything. He's just, I mean, he he like basically breaks all the rules of what not to do as an initial Lost character, right? Like he's making fun of Hurley. He's trying to build himself up as like a real man. He actually says the line, if you can't close with sweet Libby, it's Neil time. It's Neil now time. And for, yeah. Now and forever. Yeah, it's Neil time. No time is and, Neil time. And, and the fact that, yeah, this is also happening during the events of Two for the Road, right? Because Hurley is getting stuff for the picnic just makes it even worse in that, like you said, like this is Hurley preparing for a very romantic date. And arguably this is like he's having an argument about Libby knowing that he'll, he won't see her until she dies. Yeah, uh, it's it's such an odd, odd thing. And I, I do think that I don't know. I think in general, when it comes to Lost, they do a fairly good job of developing romances organically. I really do not like this, like, schoolboy thing of, like, yeah, I'm scoping her out. I'm definitely going to mac on this girl. Like, that feels to me... It feels it just feels very separate from the general tone of the show, especially from the survival aspect of like, hey, characters happen to find themselves in relationships based on the situation that they're in. With the exception of Charlie and Shannon back in season one, nobody's like, ooh, look at that sweet honey. I'm going to take a dive into that. <laughs> God, uh, Stefan Johnson writes in that Frogert is worse than Nikki. The scene with Frogert, it doesn't make Hurley look good. To be fair, he's baited, but he still gets into a rule-measuring contest, let's call it, uh, with Frogert over Libby. Yeah, it's awful. I hate it. I hate it a lot. Uh, it's uh, Of the two we've seen thus far, it's a clear number two, and it'll go lower, but never forget that it began with number two, uh, to be yeah, very evocative uh, I, of I, the frozen yogurt. And what is going on with like Neil being so carefree right he's calling hurley bra I hate he's it. nicknaming bernard bernie like i, hate I think it. That, you know you know what it is i think neil fashions himself like 
his own version of Sawyer. Yeah. He's like, hey, look at that cool guy. He's able to walk around, make up nicknames, do whatever he wants. I want to have that cowboy swagger. Let me be more like Sawyer. And it's just disastrous results. Here's the thing, too, is like because these missing pieces take place all across seasons one through three. Like, why here? Why is this the Frogert story? Why are you telling it simultaneously with Two for the Road? It's just such a bad call. It's just totally like there's no comedy to it. If you have any memory of what's happening while this conversation is occurring, like it just completely destroys it so uh there there were so many better ways uh you me and our philly we could have come up with something much better for the neil froger introduction hopefully we will someday um yeah, well i don't know i think knowing our opinions i think uh rodney and billy are gonna have another date with a bunch of spears when it comes to neil froger showing up in that in that world all right so what we're about to listen to takes place during season three uh, it is during the period of time that Jack is, uh, it's post Benjamin Linus's uh, surgery. Jack is back in Dharmaville with the others. He's watching yeah, so over Ben. Is, uh, between, I'm, I'm, I'll frame it like between not in Portland and the man from Tallahassee, right? Like yeah. this is, this is pre football game. It's, it's, it's probably right around there. It's before the football game. It's after Stranger in a Strange Land because that's when they set off for the barracks. Uh, it's mm-hmm. somewhere during that period of time and Jack has been told that he's going to be able to go home and he's so buddy-buddy with the others that not only is he playing football with Mr. Friendly, he's also playing chess with Ben. So this, written by Brian K. Vaughn, is King of the Castle taking place inside of Ben's abode as he and Jack play chess. So this must be strange to you. Not really. It's been a while, but my dad taught me to play when I was a kid. Actually, I was talking about you being here with us. Got what I wanted? It's been a long time since I had anybody with a little skill to play against. I don't suppose there's anything I could do to convince you to stick around. (laughs) Relax, Jack. Just an idle question. We have a deal. I fully intend to honor it. Intend to or you will? Well, it's not entirely up to me. If the island doesn't want you to leave, it won't let you. (laughs) What, the... The island's going to sink the sun? No. No. I promise you, I won't do anything to prevent you from getting home. But if you do leave this place, a day may come when you want to return. Never. I've learned never to say never. And if that day comes, I hope you remember this conversation. Nice try, though. Do you think part of the reason Jack beats Ben up as badly as he does is because, like, you beat me at chess that one time. Did now he, I'm getting revenge. Did Checkmate, he beat him? Bitch. So, like, the last move is Benjamin Linus castles. 
which is a defensive move. I don't think he can win on a castle. It's not like he put Jack in checkmate. I think maybe did Jack have Ben in check and Ben was just able to sidestep it? Yeah, and then, then Ben just sort of ends the game right or there. Or it's which like maybe seem- he's saying it was a good try. You almost got me in checkmate, but I weaseled my way out. I think it's sort yeah, of like sound, my that interpretation. That does seem very Benjamin Linus too, right? To be like, yes, I'm I'm in, I'm in cornered, but it's actually me who has all the power you don't realize. Um, I think that I like this a little bit more than The Watch. Uh, I agree. I, I, would I, would, se- I would send this to Guam, Mike. Completely, and I would go so far as to say, and it's tough, like I would love to find a place for this in the show proper. Because I really like this. I feel like due to the fact that we miss out on so much Jack and Dharmaville stuff uh, during the time that he's missing, I feel like we are solely, sorely lacking in Ben Jack scenes for the vast majority of the second half of season three. And that really plays in here, especially setting up sort of the chess game between the two of them in the finale that gets set up. Yes. The only issue is there's so much like great call backslash call forward to the event of Through the Looking Glass. I do wonder if you put this into season three proper, does that spoil it for you? The other thing that I like about this being here uh, in between season three and four, though, Mike, is that it's sort of like a little bit of a preview of the end of season four, which takes Mm -hmm. us into the first portion of season five, that Jack and Ben sort of forge this unholy alliance. Uh, and so I think that like Ben being able to have sort of a Lockean conversation with Jack about the island only does what what it wants you to do. The island will only let you do certain things, which I think like Ben believes to some degree, but also doesn't fully buy. I think he believes at least himself to be somewhat above those rules. Right, and then this is, this is also him sort of doing like the you know his trying to stick to the letter of the law by being like, well, technically I won't be exactly. the one to stop you from leaving the island if I if a bald guy happens to wander exactly. in here and I convince him to do. So that's not my fault. Exactly. So I I like what that's setting up because Ben is then going to kind of be like leveraging some of this stuff over Jack later on. So I think like to have this now before we go into season four, where it's going to be fairly light on the Jack and Ben content until the very end, I think is good. I think it I, yeah. I think it works here, uh, but I really do like it. It's shot a little oddly. Like there's yeah. the you know we're we're looking at Ben, but like Matthew Fox's head is taking up half the screen. Like it, <laughs> you know, it's not it's not the it's not the most beautiful, but it's it's one of the better written ones, I think. Yeah, and I think again, it's a character pairing that, to your point, we don't we haven't really seen up to this point, and we won't see a bit more of. I do wonder, you know, when when Ben approaches Jack and Hoff's drawler in the season four flash forward, like. Is this conversation playing in Jack's head, as as Ben says? And maybe that could be an interesting opportunity for this to go mainstream a bit, right? If they make reference to the chess game that they played. Because I can imagine we don't necessarily see it. But I can certainly think that Ben's words are reverberating all through Jack's head in these next three years as he is realizing that Ben is completely right about his regret. I think so, too. All right, let's get into the fourth missing piece written by Elizabeth Sarnoff. Uh, it is called... The Deal. And this is taking place during Season 2. This is before Hurley and Frogert got into their fight about Libby. Because this is back still during the three minutes of it all. This is back when Michael Dawson still tied up to a tree next to the Jungle of Mystery out on the beach. And it's so weird, though, because this is there's suspect timing with a few of these. But this is the first one that I really underlined. Because this seemingly takes place... After the scene where Michael sees Walt and, you know, Miss Clue gives him the list, but it appears they're still going to keep him captive for a little while longer. 
And this is when he runs into another other who did not exist back when Three Minutes aired in season two. This is when Michael Dawson meets Juliet Burke in The Deal. Juliet. What do you want? The boat you asked for. They wanted me to tell you it's yours. Good. Beatrice told me you saw your son. I've spent some time with him, with Walt. He's a very interesting kid. He's, uh, he's very smart. It's very special. What do you mean, special? Well, he's not an ordinary boy, which is why I'm worried about him. So I'm very glad that you agreed to do this for us. I'm glad that you're going to get him away from here. You expect me to believe that you give a damn about my son? Believe it or not, Michael, I am not your enemy. Oh, you're not, huh? No, I'm not. Our man in your camp. The one you're going to free. His name is Ben. He's very important. And is he the one who can get me off this island? Yes. Will he? Yes, he will. I guess I'm just supposed to take your word for that, huh? I guess you are. deal with him too and why are you still here because he saved my sister's life and where is she Miami but you had to stay What's the point in saving her life if you can't be with her? Wouldn't you do anything to save Walt? You have your list. Good luck. So that happened. Yeah. So I. So there's a lot to talk through here. First of all, welcome back, Michael Dawson. You've been yeah. so quiet since he just blended into the jungle. Uh, I know. He finally became corporeal again, and now he's ready to... Though, admittedly, this is back... You know, I guess he was still planting back then, right? When he disappeared for a while and ooh and found. Let's just reset this, this because is, I know, Mike, you got a, we got a piece of feedback relatively recently being like, guys, I've listened to every single episode. Somewhere along the way, I missed how Michael is a plant. <laughs> uh, 
And like, Mike, you took the time to like directly reply to the email being like, all right, let me fill you back in. So let's just, in case there's anyone else who's like, sometimes they say Michael's a tree. What does that mean? Where does that come from? I don't get it. Uh, it's because in and found, ooh, and found back in season two, I believe episode five, uh, mm-hmm. when Jin and Mr. Echo are going through the jungle looking for Michael, uh, Mr. Echo points to an aloe plant and says, uh, Jin, look. And Jin looks at it and then looks back at Mr. Echo and goes, Michael? And then uh, Mr. Echo shakes his head. And Mike and I took that to mean that Jin believed that Michael is secretly able to turn himself into trees. Which we then canonized by saying it actually is. Jin then caught on to his superpower. Yes. He can indeed turn into yes. trees. So in our, in our canon, in Down the Hatch canon, all trees are Michael until proven Otherwise, but this is the actual flesh and blood Michael Dawson. Love Harold Perrineau. And I will be in defense of this scene. Okay? Okay. Let me, okay. Let me, let me try and defend it uh, on a couple of turfs. Uh, first of all, before I defend it, I will say this is uh, bottom half so far. Oh, I yeah. I would say definitely below the watch. This here. is below the watch. This is the deal is in third place right now. I would send it. I would send it to Guam, though. I wouldn't say I'm going to mm. kill it with fire arrows. I would send it to Guam. Um, I think it works if you're going to accept Room Twenty Three, which is coming up in a little while. In That's which, true. In which Juliet has a connection to Walt. Um, so this conversation may be better had after we watch Room Twenty Three. But I can imagine the Juliet who is dealing with Walt in a future missing piece that we'll talk about in just a few minutes may want to have some closure with Michael and may want to give him that extra push if he's having any feelings of doubt whatsoever to get Walt out of here. If she cares about kids, if she cares about Walt specifically, if Mm -hmm. she doesn't want the others to have their dastardly hands on a kid as special and as potentially dangerous as Walt, if he is under the bad influence of, of Benjamin Linus, that maybe she just wants to give this guy extra incentive and maybe she wants to meet the man behind Walt at this point. So I totally buy that she wanted to hang out with Michael. Ah, you're the one who contributed the sperm to Walt. You know, I can imagine she wants to talk to Michael. So that that works for me. Uh, the other way in which it really works for me is I think Harold Perrineau gets back into this character really well. Uh, it's been mm-hmm. a, it's been a long time since we've seen him on the show, uh, and, and and a literal entire season since we last saw him. You know, this is one of the very first things that we see with with Michael. Uh, you know, and it, since he left on the boat, and so I think one of the things that I think the missing pieces does effectively that unfortunately doesn't translate to the show as well because of the truncated season four, and so they really have to rush the Michael storyline, or at least they choose to rush the Michael storyline. I don't know if they had to rush the Michael storyline uh is i think that uh it it gets harold perrineau back to like the dimensions of michael because he's not just the guy who killed anna lucy and libby he was somebody very different before all of that he was pushed into this position he made the choice um but what were all the choices he made along the way so i like to see the dimensionality of michael across these webisodes i think if the missing pieces were going to serve a function i think reintroducing us to an important character who's going to have at least of like a, a important ish role in season yeah. four. So this is the first one that I'm sort of just meh on overall. Cause I think to your point, I do see the utility of it. I do think it scans mostly for Juliet's character from my perspective. 
I, I do not necessarily, I, I question the strategy a bit of her being so open about like, hey, this guy is, is Ben, who you're rescuing. Uh, she goes out and, and uses Miss Clue's first name, which Beatrice. I'm pretty sure from the season two finale, I thought the whole deal was like everyone keeps their name secret to 815. Yeah, but Juliet uh, doesn't give a shit, you know? Juliet, uh, Ju- Juliet doesn't believe in any of this stuff anymore. I do find it interesting that Juliet invokes her own example, considering that this is the exact opposite situation, right? Yeah. She's like, well, listen, Ben made a deal with me. And he's like, oh, yeah. And what happened? She's like, uh, well, that, that not, that's not important. That's not important. What matters is you right now. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think I, I really like your point about this being a good diving in point back to Michael when he was at his most morally conflicted. And also, I think hopefully to hammer home the point of like, and we tried to hammer home this point at the end of season two as well on the podcast that like this is a man who, as Juliet said, like, you know, will do anything to be with his son. And, and that drove him to do some incredibly dark things, which left him extremely conflicted going into this season. I just question if this scene needs to happen. You know, and honestly, I don't know if I'm a fan of Juliet possibly incepting the idea into Michael to kill Anna Lucia and Libby. It, it feels like for me, the last time when we saw the scene that takes place before this chronologically, the whole again, Walt and Michael reuniting, Miss Clue giving the list. I can see the path to what happens in Two for the Road. Yes. I, I don't think I necessarily need to, like, have this extra thing to fill in of, like, well, just in case you didn't need the push, here comes Juliet. It almost feels, I don't know, it doesn't weaken the character of Michael for me, but I necessarily like the fact that he had yet another person coming to him and sort of encouraging him to make this decision. Yeah, I think it makes sense to me, though, that, like, Miss Clue does what she does and Michael agrees, but, like, they're not going to, like... You know, there's some measure of like, there's a checkout process, right? You know, uh, so like, <laughs> yeah, she's giving him like an exit interview, you know, so like, I don't, I don't mind it. Um, and I like the characters a lot. And this is the only time that they're going to really cross paths. So, uh, yeah. I would, I, I, I'm not mad at its existence. And if it's literally a binary choice of we're going to destroy it or we're going to keep it, I'll keep it. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, I would be edging on the side of destroy it, but I think you are more, you are more passionate well, about it than I'm I more, have, I'm more, for, I'm more for it, especially in connection to, to room 23 when we, when we get there in a bit. And I'm, I, I definitely want to keep room 23. Um, yeah. All, all right. right. So then it says, yeah, so sort of like if we, we can't keep one without keeping the other. Well, I think you can, but I, I like it as sort of a, an out of, uh, place coda to, to room 23. But before room 23, we've got, uh, we've got an episode in between. Once again, a Brian K. Vaughn jam. It's episode five of The Missing Pieces, once again taking place during season three. And this takes place after DOC. And it's uh, Juliet is coming to see. Sorry, I'm just I'm still trying to rhyme. I think it's over. Uh, (laughs) She's going to wake up Jack in the middle of the night. Uh, She's going to wake him up and she is going to make a confession. And this is what's going to lead to all of the action towards the end of the third season. So it takes place at night, takes place in Jack's tent, Operation Sleeper, starring Jack Shepard and Juliet Burke. People in your camp, Saeed, Sawyer, they don't trust me. They think that I'm here to hurt them, and it's only a matter of time before they figure out. Let anything happen to you. Thank you. 
please let me finish. It's only a matter of time before they figure out that they're right. What? They shouldn't trust me. I'm still working for him. For Ben. He sent me here to study the women to find out which ones were pregnant. Why? So we can take them. He promised me no one would get hurt. He promised you. Listen, Jack. How could you? I, I thought that you were one of us. I saw it. You wanted to get on that submarine as bad as I did. But I didn't get on it. And neither did you. Just... I guess I thought that it was actually going to happen. That we would get off this island. I was... I was naive to think that he would let us. Let us? Ben was in a wheelchair. Locke blew up that submarine. Did he? So, you're only here because he sent you here. Yeah. Why are you telling me this now? Last night was sun. We saw the baby growing inside her. If she's still on this island in about a month, both of them will be dead. living Benjamin Linus's dream for three years. Three years. It's time to wake up. And then Hurley wakes up and it turns out Dave was right. It was a dream all along and Juliet was part of it. No, I hope not. Um, I love this one. I like Operation I, Sleeper a lot. I, I really like the Juliet side of it, uh, especially the last part. And I think Elizabeth Mitchell does a really great job. And I like that we fill in again. We don't need we we don't need to like put two and two together manually to see why Juliet sort of ends up turning. But I'm glad we saw it. I will say this is not a great scene for Jack, but he does eventually sort of come around and help her. So this is, I guess, has to be the connective tissue of Jack coming to in the middle of the night and trying to sort of digest all this information. I like it. I think we we thought, you know, this was roughly what happened, uh, but we never got to see it, that the timing is right. I think that that's good. Uh, it also starts to like flex some muscles for me in my head of like, what were they going to do, you know, before mm-hmm. they knew about the Naomi stuff? Like, what was the plan here? So the plan was we're going to we're going to dunk on Ben. We're not going to do the thing. We're going to destroy Ben. And then what? They were going to like, were they going to take over? They were going to like take over everything that the others have and they were going to find their way off the island that way. Like, there's like an alternate path 
for Lost where the freighter isn't involved at all and they are successful in their campaign against Ben here and like their attempt of like escaping from there now that Juliet is sort of like the the key holder the key master if you will mm-hmm. uh, of all of this all of these secrets that uh, Dharmaville possesses and that Ben used to have uh, that could be that could have been really fun so this kind of gets me thinking about that I also sort of like the the sobriety to Juliet here of like the yeah. wake up call like sometimes uh. that's what happens when you wake up from like a cultish mentality or an addicted mentality or or like an abusive yeah you know i think like often like there is like just like this moment where uh you're like never again um and it feels like it's happening here in like this moment of honesty of like yeah i'm still doing the bad thing i'm done doing the bad thing i'm just gonna tell you all the stuff I love the moment because we didn't really see that much of like Juliet's response to the sub blowing up. And so for her to like outright say, you know, I was naive to think that Ben would let us off the island. She sees right through, right? She knows Ben probably better than anyone on the island. She knows firsthand that despite Jack's insistence that it was Locke who blew up the sub, she knew that Ben convinced him to do it. And so I think that sort of getting her thoughts on all that and how she has now, you know, really digested that information and is now sort of coupling that with the stuff from DOC to be like, all right, I'm done here. Right. It's a big moment for the character. Yeah. I, I really like it from that perspective. Um, some some feedback we got from this one uh, from Eric Divestein, who says, uh, I think Operation Sleeper, it's not a great look for Jack. Not impressed that Jack had no suspicions that anything was off until Juliet decided to come clean. Uh, yeah, on that front, it isn't so great for Jack. Um, yeah, but yeah, Jack yeah, is nothing if not a little bit stubborn and naive and doesn't see betrayals coming, typically. Well, especially he's also someone who is not used to, I think, like the double and triple crossing that happens within the others. Like, again, I think that he doesn't know Benjamin Linus that well. Juliet does. So I think it's fine that maybe he's a little, maybe a little bludgeoned to his deceptions. I do kind of feel bad here as well that essentially Juliet tells Jack, like, Jack's like, oh, so you didn't, you know, you didn't come join 815 for me. And Juliet's like, nope. Yeah. I've been undercover the entire time. That, the whole time. Whole that time. has to sting. Though, again, they do have that kiss in the season three finale, so maybe things are okay by the time that happens. Uh, so where would you rank this one? Where would you rank Operation Sleeper on our list? See, here's the thing. I don't know. I, I, I think it's definitely below King of the Castle. I might honestly put it a smidge below the watch, just because the the watch to me informs so much more about like what's happening between these two guys and what's going to happen more with these two characters moving forward. That I think Operation Sleeper, while a great way of essentially this is like the purpose of the these missing pieces, right? It's to literally fill in the blanks of things that we didn't see on the show. I really like its purpose in that perspective, but I think I just enjoy the watch a little bit more, a yeah. hair, a, a second hand more. This is this is tough because I think I'm Operation Sleeper. I think I prefer Operation Sleeper personally. I guess I'd be willing to tie these if we want to yeah, deal with a tiebreaker later. Uh, so why don't we say this is a tie at the moment? Yeah, we'll we'll sleep on it for a week yes. and then we'll wake up and be like, all right, now that we've marinated. How on about it, this? You know, the the audience can break that tie right now. I the like watch that. and Operation Sleeper are tied right in let us know down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com which one you prefer how about we open room 23 mike yeah, let's my, go this is, i'm so intrigued by the timing of these josh because these were not released in the order they were produced king of the castle for example was the first one made but they obviously rearrange these differently this is going to be our third juliet centered piece in a row and i yes. believe these are these are the only three that she's a part of 
Um, so we're going to get a third Juliet in a row. We are going to get yet another one that is connecting to Walt, even though we're not going to see Walt uh, once again. Um, I want to issue a warning that some sirens will be blaring, I think, in the sounds here. Uh, there's mm-hmm. re- really no avoiding it. It's pandemonium on Hydra Island uh, at some point during season two uh, because Walt's still on the island. And sirens are blaring because some the, the fit has hit the shan, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here in Room 23, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff, airing on December 11th, featuring Juliet and Ben. Let's listen in. What's happening? We did it again. Did what again? You know. Well... You're going to have to tell him to stop doing it. I'm not going in there. Fine, get Beatrice. She's not going in there either, Ben. None of them will. Tom won't even bring them food. They're all scared. Look, Ben, his father is out there looking for him. We could bring him back. No. This is your responsibility. You are the one who wanted him here. Jacob wanted him here. He's important. He's special. He's dangerous. He's just a kid, Juliet. He's a child. He's just a child. Come see. What kind of child does this? Josh, at a mere minute and 20 seconds, unlike Malcolm David Kelly's height, this is the shortest of the missing pieces. <laughs> um, so you can't see it. You can only hear it. So if you didn't watch it, it's, you know, the sirens are going and it's the tense conversation and the thing that Juliet shows to Ben is she takes him outside and outside of the building, there's just like a shit ton of dead birds that have clearly slammed into this boarded up wall. And, and it's a bunch of different birds. They're like parrots. They're pigeons. There yeah. are crows. There I don't are a believe there was a single hurly bird. I didn't see a hurly bird. Um, but there's a lot of different birds. And so the heavy implication is, yeah, Walt and the animals, they got a thing going on. And so people are apparently tweaking out. So uh, tweaking out. Uh, so there's <laughs> there's things about it that I that I really, really love. Uh, one is like, show us a reason why the others are so scared of Walt and willing exactly. to, to get rid of Walt because he's connect, freaking everybody out. to Ben's line about how we got more than we bargained for with Walt. Now we see that firsthand. Right. So I, I love that. I love the way that it's filmed. I love sort of like the, I know at this point they really can't even show us Malcolm David Kelly because he's too old to play that version but, of Walt but, anymore. But I love him being sort of like the third person in the room, even though he's not. It's almost like a Jacob-like quality about him, right? Where like yes. everyone's talking about him, everyone's feared of him, but you really see his work not in what he directly does, but what he indirectly does. Are we to assume that like, is it that Walt is like raging out and that causes the birds to react. Do you think that he was trying to send the birds in to rescue him at all? I don't know. Yeah, was he going to get flown out by a bunch of pigeons? Uh, it's kind of an incredible idea. Uh, no, I have no idea, uh, but I, I, lo- I love the connotations as it, as it relates to Walt. I love uh, connecting Juliet to Walt, and so through this, like I love that she does have that moment with Michael later on yeah. uh, where she's oh, well, going to be able Especially to- that she is really the voice of reason here, right? This is a classic example that we saw a bit in season three of 
like Ben being so bullheaded about certain things, despite again providing the faulty excuse. Though I don't know, Josh, is Ben? We I know we talked about this with like whether or not Jacob is directly talking to Ben, but do you think the idea to take Walt? Was that Ben doing something for the island, or do you think that was something that, like, he wanted to do for himself? I don't know. I think, like, it's more like, uh, well, that kid's here, let's let's toy around with him. But I, I do think uh, Walt doesn't really necessarily fit with, uh, with Ben's plans. And if we're kind of, like, taking that the Walt power beyond anything else is the animal portion of it. Um, then mm. maybe he's like, no, the animal stuff is just scary. I don't really want to deal with that. Yeah, kid he's like, anymore. listen, I can hold people over, I can hold control over people, but animals are a whole different thing. Oh, it's a horse of a different color. Uh, <laughs> so maybe he's just not that interested in it anymore. I, I, I love it, but it also makes me sad because we never really get much with Walt, right? Like, you know, yeah, and it also is a, a sort of unfortunate reminder of like how that whole Walt is special storyline was a huge part of season one and went literally nowhere. Uh, this is the last mention I think we ever really get of it. I do find it interesting that Ben sort of writes Walt off as a kid, considering that Ben himself should know firsthand that, like, children can be capable of many great and many bad things at such a young age. Yeah, uh, it just does. It does bum me out because I think that there were opportunities to bring Walt in, especially when Ajira goes back. I think you could yeah. have Walt go back. Uh, I know that there's probably real world circumstances that prevent that from happening. But I, I choose to view, Mike, I choose to view Room 23 as a deleted scene from Lost 2. Uh, Ooh, you it's know, like a flashback in Lost. Yes. Yeah, so when we go back and we sequelize Lost and we go through all of the Walt stuff finally, and he's like the main character of the show, we could go back to a moment like this. So um, I don't know. Where does Room 23 stack up for you on our rankings? Oh, this is tough because, again, I really enjoy it. I might honestly put it right below King of the Castle. Mm hmm. Like, I know we just had the big tie battle between the watch and Operation Sleeper, but I feel like I, I love what you say about the cinematography. I think the mood it invokes as well. This definitely feels like the most distinct out of the six we've seen so far, because there definitely is that sort of like horror thriller vibe to it. And I love the way it's written and sort of the mystery behind it, whereas maybe some of these other ones are left to fill in mysteries. This one is to almost set up another different mystery entirely, or at least one that has not really been embraced in season one. So I think the uniqueness of it compared to the others we've seen so far bumps it up significantly. Yeah, I, I like it. I think number two works for me. Room 23, going to Guam. And it had brings to be us two or three, right? Yeah, I think two is fine with me. I'm happy with that. So we've got a tie still between the watch and Operation Sleeper that needs to be broken, but the top two are set as it stands. Mike, we only have one more missing piece to talk about today, and then we're going to talk about more next week, the final six next week. But this is episode seven coming up. Arston Crafts. Uh, it's the Austin return. Austin Crafts. Austin Fartson Crafts. It's the return of Dr. Leslie Arst. Uh, back to the beach. So this is season one territory, including the Quans in all of their season one regalia. Sort and of. Uh, let's sort of, We can talk. We can talk about Yunjin Kim's hair later. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about. It. We're on wig watch as we often are here. Uh, we will. We will play the audio of this one for you. This is the final missing piece on the board before we close things out on missing pieces next week. Arston Crafts, take it away.
연인 사이 같은데? 아니에요. 참 눈빛이 장난이 아니다 뭐. 지나고 시에는 남매 지간이에요. 아, 당신이 어떻게 알아? 지에도 한국말 할줄 알아? 아니 그냥 그런 것 같다고요. What's all this about moving from the beaches, huh? Going to the caves? Are, are, are you guys going to the caves? They don't speak English, dude. Well, how about how you? Are you going? I don't know what you're talking about, man. No, no, I'm talking about the caves. Are you going to go to the caves? Jack and that bald guy in, uh, what's her face? They found some caves, and they think that actually we should move from the beaches to the caves. So why shouldn't we? Why should... What? Okay, A, number one, moisture. Caves are abundant with moisture. Moisture breeds bacteria and attracts insects that would lay eggs in our mouths while we sleep. Right? Hey, hey, hey. I know that you don't understand me. But if there is a vote to go to the caves, you two, you vote no. Get it? No. Hey, shouting at them is not going to make them understand anymore. Dude, if Jack says it's a good idea, maybe we should, like... Trust him. Why? You tell me. Because he's a doctor? Is that what qualifies him for leadership here? How do we know he's not a mental case? I want to tell you something. The other day, I'm in the jungle and I'm taking a leap. And Jack runs through the jungle crying for his dad. Okay, fine. Fine. You, you morons, you want to go to the cave? Good riddance. I'm going to stay right here on the beach with all the people who want to survive. So I I love Daniel Roebuck and yes. I love Leslie Ars, but I'm so I'm so confused by this. I know this is uh, so it's not as bad as the Adventures of Hurley and Froger, but it's a very clear number six of seven so far for me. I, the timing is just very. The timing makes no sense. Have you no, have you puzzled this out yet? Yeah, so here's the thing, is yeah. that, so, the, the, they're talking about the transition to the caves, uh, and this obviously takes place post-House of the Rising Sun, right? Because they're talking so about the caves. It's gotta bl- take place in sort of, like, a sweet spot between House of the Rising Sun and The Moth, which are, right. you know, back-to-back outings, so it takes place, like, somewhere within that, but this is right after the Michael and Jin fight. And they're, and they're like, six feet there's, away there's, from each other. They're sitting right next to each other, like, nothing has happened. They would not be caught dead near each other at this and point. Not, not to mention, I believe in that episode, Saeed told Michael about the cave, so Michael should have some idea of what's going on, unless he's just playing dumb to Arst when Arst approaches him about the whole idea of the caves yeah so so it's not great it doesn't really work in terms of the continuity at all uh it's there is a funny moment which is at the start of this when when Jin and son are talking and they're looking off off screen describing a couple that's fighting uh and they're talking about shannon and boone uh and that's really funny i mean they were they're really both right in a way right because like they are brother and sister 
but they're also a couple. Yes. Uh, uh, and I, I do love, I, and I really, I actually do love as much as we talked about like how the, the, the context is pretty terrible. I do love our mention of the events of white rabbit that apparently like he was privy to, uh, when he took a trip to the privy of like some of Jack stumbling through the jungle, which I thought was, was pretty funny. I mean, it seems a little Exodus X to S ask to me of like, I'm uh, not Exodus, uh, expose ask yeah. to me of like, here is a gawker sort of complaining about the leadership of 815. I will also admit I was a bit distracted by the haircuts of it all. Uh-huh. Jin <laughs> Kim's bangs. Uh, Jorge Garcia got his hair cut very short, even by season one standard for his off-island stuff, I'm assuming, and that's pretty palpable as well. So I'll admit that sort of helped take me out of it as well. Yeah, uh, so I, I, it's not as like offensive in terms of like uh, I can't believe this takes place right as Libby is getting killed. Yeah. And, and this uh, isn't character assassination as it's much not. as Hurley it's and Broker not. were. It's not. It's definitely not. It's totally fine, but if we just have the choice between keeping it or killing it, I'm going to kill it, Mike. And so it's um, interesting. So we're looking at our top seven so far, where we have King of the Castle number one, Room 23 number two, a tie at the moment between The Watch and Operation Sleeper, The Deal at number five, Orston Crafts number six, and The Adventures of Hurley and Frogert number seven. You know, we talked about this last week and this week as the missing pieces were an opportunity to say goodbye to beach stuff. But Josh, at the moment, our bottom two entries are beach stuff. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that out of what we have explored so far, the only ones that we have given the thumbs down on are the ones that harken back to 815 proper. Yeah, and I'm trying to think, I'm trying to like forecast a little bit of like where we are going. Uh, well, well for- speaking of forecast, we're going to have our admission to Michael that he makes up the whole wind thing to launch the raft. Yes. Uh, so I think like, I'm trying to just like, off the top of my head, there's going to be uh, Michael with Sun. There's going to yep. be Michael with Arst. There's going to be Jin throwing a temper tantrum on the golf course, which I believe is the exact title of that missing piece. That's uh, spoiler alert. That's my favorite one. Uh, Ooh. Oh, I was thinking you. I thought so. It begins would be your favorite one. No way. No way. Uh, Jin throwing a temper tantrum kills me. Uh, well, so I was I was incorrect before. Julia does appear one more time in the envelope, the yes. pre Tale of Two Cities missing piece. What I was going to say is that, like, uh, you know, we walked into this being like, I don't take or leave the missing pieces. But of the seven, you know, so far, five out of seven we're keeping. I think that maybe the balance will shift next week. I think mm-hmm. in the grand scheme, we'll still take the, the, the majority, but it'll be like it won't be a, like a shutout. I think you know, right. we're so going to be talking about leaving behind at least like five episodes. So we came in with 13, but we might leave with less yes. in terms of like, I think now we can at least have a list where if moving forward, people are like, should you watch, should I watch the missing pieces? You're like, yes, watch these, not these. All right, Mike. So that is the missing pieces. <sighs> All right. So there was a video game. It was called Lost Via Domus. We heard this very strange impression of John Locke <laughs> at the start of the podcast. Mike, you didn't go and play this, did you? No, uh, luckily people had to suffer through playing it firsthand. I got to experience it third hand. Uh, I got to watch a playthrough of it on YouTube in all nearly four hours of its glory, which I say in very sarcastic quotations. All right. Tell us what happened in Via Domus, because last week you were like, I'm going to watch it. I'll tell you what happened. And I'm like, cool, you do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you did it. I want to hear what happened. 
So yeah, so let's fill in some details. So Lost View Domus is uh, a game that was released in the United States in on February 26, 2008, which I believe is probably like a couple of weeks after Season 4 dropped. So it's very much in this realm right now, late 2007, early 2008. It was released on PC, the PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360. And this is a Lost video game. But you play as none of the characters on 815. Instead, you play as a brand new character named Elliot Maslow. But you don't know that's your name because Elliot Maslow was on Oceanic Flight 815, but he wakes up in the middle of the jungle with no memory. Oh, good. Yeah, and so he has to piece together his history by... So Elliot is a photographer, and what happens in the game is you talk to various characters around the island. He runs into quite a few, uh, some extremely bluntly, which we'll talk about, and usually something that someone says will trigger a literal flashback. In that flashback, you'll experience a scene, and you have to, Pokemon Snap style, take a picture of like an exact frame that... Elliot was sort of thinking through uh, as we transitioned into that flashback. Once you get that picture, then a cutscene place to sort of fill in the flashbacks. So we are, you know, in a speaking of missing pieces, we are sort of piecing together who Elliot Maslow is. Uh, he ends up getting Farkist basically on night one or two by this guy with real beady eyes, basically being like, hey, give me your camera. Give me the stuff you have on it. You have no idea why. Uh, you don't find out his name until about halfway through the game, and you don't find out about what he did until the very end of the game there's about like five to seven flashback scenes in total but it 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 goes between that type of stuff and then more of your sort of like open world exploration you go around 815 you do a lot of running around the jungle to all the various spots you even josh go into spots that 815 never even went into over the course of lost for example uh you go apparently to the electromagnetic like collider that exists assumingly below the swan station (laughs) uh describe the collider for me it's a just think like a big old coil that is literally sticking in the ground uh, leading tower of pisa style and that's basically what it is and you just like you walk in you see it there's a computer there for some reason you like do some games on it some like little uh psychological tests little riddles and then you leave. There's computers throughout the terminals. You also get to explore. Not only do you explore the swan to the point where you get to see a brand new hatch map that shows up on another blast door inside the swan station. But you also spend the end of the game essentially like exploring the underside of Hydra Island to the point where you actually are able to jigger controls to bring up a Dharma shark and pull a tracker <laughs> off of it. So you are exploring again so much more than anyone proper has explored on the island at all over the course of the however many days they spent on Do it. they resolve this by being like, well, since he doesn't uh he doesn't know he doesn't remember stuff so like he's he can see all this stuff and the the viewer the gamer doesn't remember it either that's how we're going to justify <sighs> well listen we're going to get to the ending in a bit because it needs to be talked about it is trippy even by lost standards but elliot i mean speaking of hatches he has a very odd relationship with the others uh, so, cause for most of the time, it's really Elliot just sort of like wandering around having to, to figure stuff out. Like he, 
he sort of it's a little expose-esque where it's like you know jack comes back from the pilot being like oh my god there's a monster out there and elliot's like great i'm assuming my camera's in the cockpit so i'm gonna go back out there and find my camera and there's one where he's really wandering around uh that's where you sort of like hear that lock clip is lock leads him on this cockamamie scavenger hunt around the jungle to find cockamamie yeah exactly to find this random compass to prove that the island you know has purpose for you but you're wandering around the jungle one night and you just run into Ben and Juliet. They're just standing there. And then they knock you and Tom Friendly knocks you out with a club. And then she injects Tom Friendly in knocks you. you out. OK. And so but like like you're, you're not like spying on them doing anything. This is not Paolo style. You're walking in the jungle and they're just standing there staring at you. <laughs> and then they knock you out. So apparently Elliot had some importance. And that importance is we finally get it when Elliot and Juliet sort of have a, a tete-a-tete is that Ben wants to make a Michael out of Maslow for a, a, in a manner of speaking. He wants Elliot to take Jack to the Black Rock so that Jack can get kidnapped by the others. I, I'm assuming this was the plan before the Michael stuff happened. Right, right. Of, okay, well, I guess if Elliot Maslow can't do it, I suppose Michael does. Uh, and, and if he does, he'll be able to essentially get Elliot off the island. Again, sound familiar? So Elliot does that. He brings Jack to the Black Rock. And of course, like, it is so eerily similar to, um, to the the episode where they drew the line where the hunting, the hunting party, party. Yeah. yeah exactly but like literally it's the exact same thing where kate was snooping and gets caught as well and is brought forward by tom friendly it is so like just completely a carbon copy but despite elliot selling out jack he also ends up sort of selling out the others as well by shooting dynamite to create a surprisingly small explosion to like <laughs> basically prove he's on nobody's side and so where does he go Okay, so Elliot Maslow, uh, he runs away, much like the deal. Uh, Juliet finds him somehow and is like, "Listen, I know you did what you did, but I trust you. This is a, this. Here's the boat. You better get to it soon." And Elliot is able to get onto the boat, and he's able to steer himself away from the island. And then Josh, the sky turns purple. Oh God! And then. We go back to the crash of Oceanic 815, where Elliot is now lying on the beach and being woken up by his girlfriend, uh, Lisa Gellhorn, her name is. But the thing, Josh, is in the proper timeline, Lisa Gellhorn was dead. What? And so it is implied that Elliot Maslow is now assumingly in an alternate universe. Don't even talk about Flash sideways stuff. That is separate from all this. This is now going back in time to the crash of 815 and going down a completely different path where people who are now dead are alive. This is the complete opposite of whatever happened happened. And maybe as a result, among many, that's a one why they decided to bury this game and not really make it canonical. Yeah, this really doesn't make sense uh, unless he's Desmond-like. Right. And he has a unique relationship with time. Yeah. But the whole Desmond like thing was like it was that he couldn't change things. Uh, The past was obdurate that no matter what he did, he still had to do certain things in order for other things to happen. That was not the case here. And I guess maybe he does sort of have a unique relationship like Desmond with time and that maybe the purple sky sort of sent them both back. Maybe to your point, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of theorizing when we talked about flashes before your eyes as to whether, you know, Desmond was going through this all in his head or whether he traveled back through time. 
maybe this is something similar here where like Elliot is on the floor of the boat and is just like imagining that for some reason the plane crashed again and now Lisa Greenhorn Greenhall or whatever her name is, Gellhorn is alive. Lisa actually died because so the flashback reveals that uh Elliot and Lisa, they're sort of like they're photo journal or they're journalists. They're they were like former lovers, but now sort of like uh embitteredly separated. And essentially like they're both sort of competing for the same lead of this uh malevolent character named Savo. He's got some shady dealings going down, and they're in Australia to find out what the scoop is. And the scoop is that apparently Savo is meeting with Thomas Middlework who you might remember from the discussions <laughs> oh, of Bad Schwinn that happened. Yes. Yeah, the uh, the guy who apparently overthrew Alvar Hanso for leader of the Hanso Foundation. And they make a deal to, like, test nerve gas on people, I believe. And Elliot, uh, unintentionally, I think, settles out Lisa. Essentially, he creates a distraction to get up to the top floor of the hotel where Savo is meeting by basically sending his goon after Lisa <laughs> And unfortunately, Lisa gets killed as a result. They're like, wow. well, we need to get rid of this pesky journalist. And so he happens to, like, take a picture at the exact same time Lisa is killed. And that sort of is, like, the incriminating evidence. And that's also the reason why Juliet wants him to leave the island. She's like, you can get justice for this woman who died. Go ahead, leave the island. But again, the fact that a previously dead character is now alive, but not in a completely sideways universe where these characters are meeting in the afterlife raises many, many more questions than it answers. So this sounds bad. Well, let me bring up some more stuff for you, Josh, because we talked about some new stuff. Let's talk about the old. So, uh, yeah, so we have a lot of characters that you run into from 815 and they really verge on looking terrifying. Josh, I just texted you mm-hmm. a link to a I couple said, of pictures that I posted. Uh, yeah. I mean, talking about Wiggler Wig Watch. Wow. Um, it looks like Saeed. I mean, I guess it, it is in a manner of speaking, but Saeed's hair looks like a picture of Navine Andrews with hair drawn onto it. It really, it looks like someone went into Microsoft Paint with like the black spray paint icon <laughs> and just doodled, doodled noodles <laughs> yes. on his hair. But I think even worse it's poor Claire. And Emily yes. DeRavin is, I think, one of maybe four or five main actors to reprise their role within the video game. And as recompense for that, they decide to give her an absolutely, like, terrible haircut. And look, I you could say, like, yes, it's a video game. We are not in, like, the PS4, Xbox One days of, like, fantastic, you know, graphics. But this was 2008. I, and the, yeah, the way I, these characters are rendered looks worse than, like, Resident Evil, GoldenEye, some of those earlier Final Fantasy games on the PlayStation. And those were from 10 years ago. It's just, it is some of the worst hair I have ever seen on video game characters. Um, Yeah, this picture of Claire is trash. It looks sharp. Looks like you would cut yourself on the Claire hair. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so, I mean, the vast majority of these characters, because you run into basically everybody. Kate's actually the first person you run into. She is the rare person that sticks up for Elliot, because over time, Jack and Saeed are just sort of, like, fed up with Elliot's shit. Elliot's actually the first person <laughs> that's thrown into uh, the the storage or the uh, the armory in the in the hatch as like a makeshift brig pre Henry Gill. They're just like <laughs> we suspect something of you. Take a take a nosedive here. And Kate, in true season two Kate fashion, lets him go because she trusts him. Uh, Sawyer shows up. Sawyer actually is more so like a uh, a store 
a merchant in this than he that actually makes is sense. a character. I, that I like. That I like. That like in the context of the video game, Sawyer's the shopkeeper. Yeah, what so are you buying? Yeah, that yeah, works. So basically what you do is you collect supplies around the jungle like water bottles and coconuts and Dharma bars and then you bring them to Sawyer and like depending on their value you can trade up for like a flashlight so you can look around, a gun, you know, uh, matches, all that stuff. Uh, so the people who voiced their own characters here, let's see. Yunjin Kim as Sun, at the aforementioned Emily DeRaven as Claire, Michael Emerson as Ben Linus, MC Ganey as Tom Friendly, Andrew Divoff as Mikhail. I forgot that, yes, in venturing below the Hydra, you end up taking a bunch of underground tunnels that somehow lead up to the flame station? Somehow, uh, and then Henry in, so Desmond shows up in the weirdest way, the weirdest possible fashion, like not even in a season three perspective. We are in season two. You are wandering through the jungle and you run into Desmond in orientation. Like he is bolting and he is so nonchalant about everything. It is bananas where he's just like, yeah, I'll settle down and have like a, a fun, quaint conversation with you. Despite the fact that I fled the hatch because I was afraid that the computer, when the computer got shot, that like the world was going to end, but I can stop down for a quick little chit chat. Uh, uh, but those are the only six <laughs> real-life lost actors who voice their characters. Everyone else was voiced by a voice actor. So the real MVPs tell. are the ones that were able to sidestep both the video game and the Mobisodes. Yeah, really. So, like, I think uh, Josh Holloway, uh, yeah. you know, Evangeline Lilly, I suppose, are really, like, the two, uh, you know, Naveen Andrews, definitely Legends. in there. Legends. I, I was surprised uh, Terry that Charlie. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised that Charlie, uh, that Dominic Monaghan did not do a voice here because you know you look at like MC Gamey and Andrew Divoff and you're like, all right, you're not really part of the show anymore in a major capacity. It wouldn't make sense that you would want to embrace this. I mean, he, Charlie just sort of got written off the show. I would wonder if Dominic would want to you know throw his voice in there for a couple of days. But I think even he's like. Listen, I'm from Suck Shaft, but I'm not even touching this thing. Yeah, I think he's like, I I went on on a pretty high note. I think I'm going to take a minute and live with that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, man, I'm I'm glad I, I've never seen any of the footage from it. The, the screenshots that you've just sent me are going to uh, live rent free in my head for a while. Uh, that's enough. I'm good. I don't need any of it. And and it's weird because obviously with this sort of expose-like take of this is a character that exists separate from the events of the island happening at the same time as Lost, there are bound to be references in there. The weird thing is, though, there are references to the events of the island not on the island. Like, for example, in a flashback, Elliot is able to extort a local shopkeep by saying, I have three pictures of your wife, quote-unquote, caught in a net with somebody else, which is like, no! No, no, the whole purpose of that euphemism was that it was contextual to what happened on the island. Why would you use that off-island? Unless you somehow have this in your life as well. Uh, there's a particular flashback where Locke says, don't tell me what I can't do again. So I guess this is just like a catchphrase he yields at any time he's pissed off at somebody, no matter what the circumstance is. It's all incredibly very strange, uncanny valley for more reasons than one. That being said, Michael Giacchino does score it. Okay. So it does have, it does have that lost taste. I know that Jim Fells actually made a video previously for one of the episodes that really, you know, talks about how a lot of stuff within Lost Via Dome is connects to some of the stuff on the show proper. So that flavor of it exists. I know that Carlton and Damon also, I think they like, 
maybe gave the thumbs up to it, or they sort of like executive produced some of the storyboards, but they clearly do not have their fingerprints on this. Otherwise, I do not think they would let this type of thing see the light of day. So what you're saying is kill it with fire arrows. Yes, several times over, like E.T. style. Bury is this all of worse these things than the adventures of Hurley and Frogert? Yeah, because Hurley and Frogert is a minute and a half of like painful stuff. This is like three and a half hours of pain. Okay. You know? Uh, yeah, it's and, not and exactly a- fair to rank it alongside everything else, but I'm just doing it anyway. It's the worst of the things we talked about today. Yeah, and, and there's even like variances in gameplay that really make no sense. Like in the middle of the jungle, Smokey comes around and it all of a sudden turns into like a stealth mode where you have to hide in the banyan trees and just wait until Smokey goes away. And then it goes into like a temple run-esque section where you're, it's an auto scroller where you're running and you have to like jump over logs and slide, slide under vines. Uh, so the fact that the game just doesn't know what it wants to be. There's a lot of puzzles that are all the same puzzle. It's basically like filling in fuses in an electrical grid to get the right amount of voltage in order to power things. The fact that this game just doesn't know what it wants to be screams volumes considering everything that got got put into it and everything that came out oh okay coming out uh (laughs) i'm glad that this is done i didn't really want you to do this for yourself for your own head and your own heart are you glad Uh, are you glad that you did it are you happy to like is it better to know or was it better to not know it's better to know uh and look i'm i'm a uh, I, I you love you, watching video games. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think people know this. Um, this I, I know this because we just talked about this the other night. Yeah, but I am a so I am a massive, massive fan of video games. Here's my thing, and it's it's a weird circumstance that I think maybe only Josh and myself share. Is that no? I think that there are people who are who who have this. I, I don't think this is super uncommon. But my anxiety sort of doesn't allow me to get a lot of enjoyment out of playing the game myself, uh, just because it's tough for me to sort of like immerse myself and enjoy a story, etc. when my mind focuses on like, okay, am I doing a good job here? So that being said, I still harbor a, a giant passion for video games through the Let's Play community, which are people who, you know, and this has become much more proliferated in recent years with the advent of streaming, but people who will like sit down and play a game. So you're sort of experiencing the journey through them, but you're not the one holding a controller. So I'm a fan of bad video games, especially, you know, I, I grew up watching like the angry video game nerd as an example of like, much like I love figuring out what makes a bad movie, a bad movie, or what makes a bad TV show, a bad TV show. I love figuring out what makes a bad game, a bad game. And the good news is I didn't have to spend any hard earned money on this, right? I just had to spend, you know, uh, ended up being about closer to an hour and, and a half or so because I watched it on double time, but that was only a short amount of time to watch this experience. And now that I know, and now that I know why the game is bad, I I, I feel all the better for it. It's not made me a better man, but it has sort of scratched <laughs> that itch as a part of my brain as a lost fan of like what is the as what a, was that all about? Yeah, yeah. As, a, as a lost fan and as a video game fan, this is one of those rare pieces of the Venn diagram that I did not have any knowledge of, and I'm happy to have some knowledge of it now, even if the knowledge is this is a 
an objectively shitty game. Well, we thank you for your service. Uh, and I can't, I can't like, uh, tut tut this too much because I loved 24, the video game when it oh. came out, even though that game is horrible, uh, from a gameplay perspective, especially it's really horrible, but I couldn't resist. At least that game lets you play as the characters. You're playing as Jack Bauer. You're playing as Tony. Right. Uh, it like, wouldn't be like, Oh, your name is, is Elliot David. Mondo or whatever yeah, you're, the hell you're this David dude is. Working yeah. at CTU. Yeah. No, they at least let you play as the cool characters. And then they try and like tell you a story that like actually makes sense within 24 even though uh it doesn't really make a lot of sense right this, this would be like if 24 the game ended with like jack bauer dying and you're like wait right. what how, no. how does this fall into any sort of context with any canonical series yeah that's not how it ends thank god um all right so that's so that's it for this week next mm-hmm. week mike we have uh the six remaining missing pieces to put on the board i know also you and i were talking before there's there's a lot from like the lost magazine days that you were thinking of maybe doing a little bit of a dive into that so you may report back on some of your findings yeah. there because something i noticed when i was doing research about the missing pieces was there was actually a lot of like behind the scenes stuff uh, making the missing pieces in Lost, the official magazine. And I figured, like, while we're stopping down and talking yeah, sure. about Lost pop culture that was sort of in the zeitgeist in 2007, 2008, I mean, Lost, the official magazine was a big part of it. I feel like, especially in those days, it was very rare for a franchise or series to have its own magazine. And so I'm assuming there is plenty available online that we can do at least a little bit of a deep dive into, like, what that magazine was like at the time, what that means about, like, how far-reaching Lost was as a series for especially those first few years. But yeah, I think that'll, that'll sort of be our, our Lost extracurricular book report-esque segment next week. Uh, you know, provided that we are able to find enough screenshots of these old articles to do some light reading. Some light reading, the the completion of the missing pieces, and then I think like that's our final shot of like, all right, Goodbye to book one. Hello to book two. We can, you know, set the deck some expectations for season four. You know what else I would like to do, Mike, is uh, finish ranking the missing pieces. But maybe we can both pick uh, an MVP, LVP uh, situation out of the missing pieces. Uh, yeah, like combine I mean, I them all as a I whole, one, and then I think I we could add some missing pieces. Mind, uh, for missing pieces, specifically from an LVP, and maybe for an LVP perspective as well, but we've still got six to watch, so just to reset the deck here, uh, the next missing pieces we'll cover are Buried Secrets, Tropical Depression, Jack, Meet Ethan. Ethan? Jack. Jin has a temper tantrum on the golf course. The envelope, and of course, we end with So It Begins. So yeah, next week is going to be sort of like an omnibus of missing pieces, maybe discussion of Lost the Magazine, and also like a pseudo season four preview as well. It'll be fun. It'll be a great time. One last round of missing pieces before we embark on season four. So that's coming up next week. Get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can tweet at us, tweet at us as well, at postshowrecaps, at Howard. At a Mike Bloom type. And before we close out, a quick word from our sponsors here. Mike, those are our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Building policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Mike Bloom, 
so many great things. The the Bloom Files are just around the corner. Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of a long time to go on Star Wars. Uh, we've got uh, the WandaVision is upon us now. As of this recording, WandaVision is out there. So, Mike, uh, I'm so excited to talk about WandaVision. Are you pumped up about that show? I mean... As I talked about, I think last week here, I was I'm was so hopeful that the MCU was going to get weird. We've heard some early responses from people that have been sounds like it got first. weird, yeah. And so that makes me incredibly excited. And look, as long as it's not weird in a Los Viadomos way, I'm going to be very excited. I trust the MCU, and I trust even more the fantastic coverage that you're going to bring with Kevin Mahadeo and Latanya Starks here on PSR Prapa. Yeah. So I don't know if I just said the first three. I know it's the first two episodes of WandaVision are out, so we're going to recap that over at Everything is Super. The Stand is still happening. Hang in there is happening. There's the Final Fantasy VII podcast is happening as well. Yeah, for a much, If you want to hear about a much better video game, check that out. And if you, if uh, you like Mike Bloom and myself, enjoy watching people play video games, uh, then maybe you will enjoy listening to people talk about playing video games. Uh, so I think it's a fun podcast. If you, if you have no intention of ever playing FF7 or if you've played FF7 and you want some nostalgia, uh, I think we've got that covered for you here on Post Show Recap. So a lot going on. Sign up for the Patreon if you can, if you'd like. Patreon.com slash Post Show Recaps. More than ever, there is so much great incentive to become a patron because we have the patron exclusive podcast josh i know you and myself along with our wives angela bloom and emily fox are continuing our january colon january ring uh we just had a very fun discussion on the two towers what someone consider i think the middle child of the lord of the rings trilogy but still a lot of great talk there but Speaking on the gaming perspective, not necessarily from a video game, but more from a tabletop perspective, at the time this is coming out, about 24 hours from now on Saturday, Josh, you and myself and a few other post-show recaps luminaries are going to be getting together in the Discord to play in honor of the community building temporary Yachtis before going mainstream we're playing some Dungeons and Dragons. We're playing Dungeons and Dragons live in the Discord at 1 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. So, yeah, that's going to be ridiculous. We hope that you can join us. It'll be a really fun live show that we are planning to do. Probably a little bit of a sloppy hot mess, mm-hmm. uh, but I look forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, um, again, listen, I, as long as nobody's role playing as like a bard by the name of Elliot Maslow, I think we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So that's what's coming up. We'll be back next week with some more missing pieces. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.